started going down department stores, literally looking at who are all the brands that they carry and how many of those brands are designers of color and realized that less than 1% at the time were designers of color. And I was like, okay, this is it. I have to at least try to be a part of the solution. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to You Have to Wear Something Because You Do. Um, Today is an exciting day with another amazing guest. Today, I have Samia Grandpierre. She is the co-founder of I Snobbet, a foundational women's streetwear news blog. Snobbet, for those of you who don't know, um, is a social media channel providing daily coverage of fashion, streetwear, sneakers, music, art the site is women owned and my favorite parts my bet prioritizes amplification of female creatives welcome to the show samia hi thank you welcome nicole this is great I'm excited for this yes chat. I, I am too and uh i've kind of been a fan of yours kind of in the peripheral for many many years so um i'm very excited right now these are the these are the nerdy things i get excited about in fashion because <laughs> a lot of people don't know a lot of the women the women of color who are behind the scenes making things happen yeah it's a it's an interesting space because like when we started um, so Snobet used to be part of High Snobiety and it was called High Snobet. So when they decided to not focus on women's um, content, they folded High Snobet in about 2012. So we launched Snobet independently in 2013. Um, and it's been great. You know, we've gone from, you know, news coverage to also doing consulting work. Um, being a, a sort of creative studio where we've done editorials, um, we do consulting for brands, we do a lot of content, and we also do a lot of advisory as well for designers in the space, especially because like fashion and also streetwear is so specific. Over the years, we've definitely garnered an expertise in that space for sure. Oh, yeah. Like, I think, um, so I had a, a street shirt site for men and women that I started in 07 with my brother. It was called Shrink Boutique. And I think I found out about a lot of the brands we carried uh, from High Stop Ed. Like, we carried Made Me. We carried Dying. Yes. Mm-hmm. We carried a Peace Treaty. I carried Brian Lichtenberg. It was so funny. I had a conversation with Brian Lichtenberg on the phone about getting his goods on Kid's Sister you know like oh my go. gosh his sister <laughs> with the nails oh yeah yes. happened so to like, her yeah go, going into our time machine here because it doesn't it seems like it was yesterday but a lot of time has passed since that whole venture and mm-hmm. i just remember how difficult it was um to have an e-com site even back then without like proper capital you know mm-hmm. and um, I, I mean, I, I, you know, it's like I was reading about your story about how you have to get out there. And as a woman, you can't be kind and nice and polite. You got to like network and be aggressive and assertive and all of the things. And so, you know, um, I joined Ladies Lotto. I don't know if I think you probably reported on a group called Ladies Lotto back in the day, too. Yeah, we were part of it, actually. I think one of the founders, um, Natalie Blacker, is yes. uh, we're, we're still friends, and yeah, we um, we used to attend a lot of their events. One of the first panels I think we did also was a ladies' lotto panel, and that concept was super dope because at the time, you know, there was this demographic of women who were in fashion but who were was still this sort of kind of downtown not necessarily like big publication it was an interesting sort of niche of creatives and and later Zlato was a great a great portal a great community for that yeah very ahead of her time um for it being kind of this uh digital community i mean that's normal now right Right. Mm -hmm. there's found her collective it's true now that i think about it there's many 
there's a lot of these new sort of women's platforms and ladies lotto was definitely i think it was like it, it was even pre-google group i want to say it was like a yahoo group <laughs> yeah <laughs> at that some point to a google group and it was a newsletter and there were mm-hmm. meetings i loved what i loved is the inclusivity because what it was was a lot of those groups you know downtown and all of that was like you had to be invited or you had to mm-hmm. be a certain you know tax bracket or you know or you know you couldn't really be a person of color you know like it was mm-hmm. a lot of gatekeeping going on and and Natalie is really um innovative in the sense that it was like you could really join if you were just a badass DJ I think one yep. of the lines was like there's no bitch in a room or something like that and there were all of them were very very lovely uh when I moved to LA 10 years ago like one of the first things I did I was like I got to find ladies lotto chapter because those women you know had treated me well like just they were just hella normal you know yeah and and that's the I think that's the community I think that was is still very special about New York in a way I think that there's this little microcosm of multicultural women who were just out there doing things and who didn't necessarily that's just who they were you know like i don't know that they necessarily had this big statement where it was like we're going to be inclusive i think it's just the way it was it's just yeah. like you know like it, it was definitely like you you just knew and you understood that we're all going to be different and you wanted it that way and it was normal for it to be that way it's not like i think people needed to go figure out let's get let's get some black girls let's get some latinas yeah it's so strategic now in such a marketing mm-hmm. kind of like publicity ploy now cuz and even now too there's been a return of like the exclusive women's group you know um like even i like i was a sales director for the riveter and that one was a little bit you know the entry level was was easy with them you didn't have to like be recommended but there's still a lot of like you know i heard about that yeah yeah exactly yeah it's like built by women for everyone and it was it was really cool i met again like similar to ladies lot i met all these incredible women and that kind of opened me up to like the startup space and that's kind of how i got you know involved with like working with startups but um you know like all of this you know 2020 was kind of an awakening and like you know i just read articles like the death of the girl boss and mm-hmm. um you know the wing there are some some issues going on in the wing and uh you know some of these groups it just what they were selling was not what they were practicing behind yeah. closed doors because i think it's funny uh, i was listening to um is one of my dear friends definitely an inspiration to me um Katie Longmire she just did a podcast recently <laughs> she was like you know talking about the concept of the girl boss and and just how in itself it sounded like a brilliant idea but it was really not rooted in anything that as a society we needed to really um embrace you know because there there's no such thing as a guy boss you know and even in in its wanting to be feminine it was not necessarily rooted in things that were um deep you know like it it, it was when you look at i mean i read the stories about the the debacle of the stuff that happened with that women's um workspace and really to me it's just an example of um leadership and management and really something i always talk about which is like cultural intelligence which is something that um you either have it or you don't you know and i think a lot of times having access to capital having access to build something doesn't necessarily come with the wisdom to manage people to you know honor their talents you know and to create workspaces where employees feel valued and where there's a a very fair uh distribution of what 
it is that not just the labor but the resources and i think those things fell apart <laughs> because of that you know where there's like sometimes this big disparity between uh you know the corporate teams and the service teams and all of that and and the way that communication is handled like it's really it's really a lot more about wisdom and understanding humanity than just like being a boss you know <laughs> yeah yeah i think it's like it, it, you know some of the things cuz i ended up kind of you know connecting with a lot of female founders in the last like i would say like 5 years i've had for the most part women bosses you know mm-hmm. and some have like raised series a and series b and all this kind of stuff and the thing is is like you know what happens after you get the capital too is very interesting mm-hmm. because you raise all this money and now you kind of have like your um venture capital overlords that now need deliverables and a lot of times you know and this is just a fact it's like the very white men that you are trying to kind of distance yourself from or define yourself differently because you now have accepted their their capital and now they're expecting results and they really didn't want to give you the money in the first place and it and I think that's where some of the disparity comes from because you want to treat each other well but also we we have some goals we have to hit and so a lot of these C suites end up it ends up kind of like a ivory tower syndrome and a disconnect from our mission you know when you try to be mission aligned it doesn't always work with the people who have you know funded you yeah well and and that's always like you know the cautionary tale i think cuz uh, uh, you know cuz i think eventually any business would want to grow and scale and depending on what field you are you know unless you go for some sort of crowdfunding and things like that having an investment becomes necessary but it's always about i think finding that investor that understands the business and also the time and not necessarily it's going to be you know who's not going to be in this aggressive sort of scaling um space where it's just like it takes time <laughs> to build things i mean when i think of for us like we started with Hisnabody in what 2007 2008 you know we're now in 2021 um you know and we still have challenges like we still you know not verified on Instagram we can't get verified on Twitter you know it's like these things of like an indie business owned by two women where you're doing all these things and and in a way you're getting accolades right you have celebrities that follow us we have really influential people who love what we do we 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 see um June Ambrose for example we did a room on Clubhouse with her so it's like we're doing the work but sometimes you're still you're still indie and you're still treated as an indie <laughs> and that, yeah i know that, 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 I mean, has, <laughs> that it's like when is that going to go away right you're like okay next level i've been in this game for a really long time and just to travel back like you were even um you know you had like a line of clothes is that right no uh uh-uh. uh we um so at one point I think that was maybe 2010 or 2011 we worked on a project with uh junk food clothing um okay. and we designed a collection uh that was themed after Smurfette for the release of the uh the Smurfs the Smurfs 3D movie that was okay. coming at the time so that was a project we worked on so i mean yeah we did do design production casting we pretty much put on a full on uh Smurfette themed fashion show we had Jasmine Solano spinning i mean it was probably one of the most fun things 
um we've done i mean we've got we've gone on to do other fun things but that was that was special (laughs) yeah it seemed like it was like honestly if you um because i mean mean, of course i googled you because i'm a researcher (laughs) and i'm a journalist by education you know which is why i'm doing the dang podcast in the first place but um you know the smurfette thing comes up it's still like aggregating your site it seems there's a lot out there about the smurfette project so that was a that was really cool and um I just I don't know it's like when I was living in Chicago and thinking about like oh I kind of want to be in fashion but I really don't know how I really did refer you know to your blog like a ton and and I'm just glad that it was still around I don't know I think like I was in one of your rooms on Clubhouse and I'm like wait I know this name (laughs) like oh my gosh so cool like full circle and I'm like, maybe I can get her to talk to me, you know, like I'm always of chasing course. people down and wanting to, wanting to talk to them. And I, you know, when you talk about cultural, um, you know, knowledge and cultural literacy, you know, if this, if all I do is just make this like a time capsule of like uh, women creatives, POC creatives and like things that, that, that talk about fashion and culture and like, you know, like I did a show about because a lot of people are like oh it's still like fashion doesn't really mean anything or there was a lot of flack for like the Met Gala for instance Mm -hmm. you know which is a fundraiser for the museum you know um but you know it's like sometimes there's a gap there it's like okay like I think we should be criticizing capitalism but how is there a more productive way uh to do it because you know you can criticize it and participate it unfortunately at the same same time and so so yeah so I've been in a couple of your rooms and they're very engaging you have really great moderators in your uh clubhouse room so yeah yeah no thank you thank you for that yeah clubhouse has been it's been a, a really cool platform for me I think it's definitely been um you know what happens and we can go full circle with that I think a lot of times for women of color specifically black women you're you're sort of put in a space where even when you have the education even when you have the expertise depending on how your path your professional path has been you constantly are in spaces where you're told that you need to do more or that you need you haven't done enough and then when you look at the knowledge that you actually have and you sort of um listen because that's the thing with uh, clubhouse right it's like you get to hear people and i think there was something about listening and then contributing and realizing that oh wow okay like actually know a lot more (laughs) than a lot of people in this space or you know what I mean and and it's like you you start to sort of it's almost like it it gives you um, a little bit of a comparison right because it's like you can take a resume and you take another resume and it's like oh yeah this is obviously better than that but then there's a lot more intangible (laughs) Yeah, nuanced stuff, you know? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff, like, when we talk about cultural intelligence, which is something I always like to talk about, it's, like, the reason why we have the mistakes that we have in advertising campaigns, even in, you know, jobs and who gets hired for what job and things like that, it's it's not necessarily, um, you know the knowledge per se of just like oh where'd you go to school <laughs> it's much you more know, about, it's not like that at you all. know it's I mean, more about understanding the subtleties of of culture and understanding and whether you're from that culture or not and sometimes that i think is where um people get stuck you know because it's like as we're talking about diversity and inclusion um we have to look at culture also beyond 
and, and when I say beyond race, not saying that race is not going to matter, but we have to look at it in the context of race and outside of it as it goes into culture, right? Because if you take two black women, one of them could be a Caribbean immigrant, one of them could be an African American with a, a you oh, know, yeah. you know what I mean? So it's like in that there's two cultural experiences yes unified by the same blackness but the cultural context of these two people are going to be different and that's just two examples like we could like mix it up and say okay maybe one parent is african-american one parent is caribbean one parent you know and it's just like the variety of what that gives you and and the cultural elements of what that's going to bring is so much more complex sometimes than you know people think because as I think businesses and companies are looking at inclusion it's like okay yes not just let's put black and brown faces because if we're the same black and brown we sort of are going to replicate the same so even in that there has to be a certain sense of of diversity as well you know is everyone straight and catholic <laughs> like yeah you know what i mean like i do i do and i see it all the time and it's like you know um it's such a unique thing to be a black american woman mm-hmm. um you know, and I know you have some Haitian descent because um, you're a native French speaker. Are you are you from New York or what is your no? Your so I'm I'm like a, I always say I'm I'm a gypsy. I'm an, I'm officially a gypsy. I'm, okay. Uh, <laughs> so I, I was I'm Canadian. I was born in Montreal from Haitian parents, um, and I've lived um, in Haiti. I've lived in Montreal and I'm now living in New York. So I've lived in in all three places. New York probably, but by now I've been in New York probably the longest. Um, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, if you're from Canada, it means you're nice. If you're, you know, yeah. if you're Canadian, it means you're automatically a nice person. That's, um, that's why I haven't met anyone Canadian that was problematic yet. Um, but yeah, no, and you know, I mean, I don't want to go too far left with like even like with Haiti but like wow like just the the difference in the treatment you know people at the border and stuff like that like these are the oh yeah I mean that's that we could have a whole podcast about that Mm -hmm. (laughs) we'll we'll do the Haitian podcast you know (laughs) that's like a whole that's like a whole other um you know yeah realm and, and that's the thing, right? And, and when you, when I come into spaces, it's like I come with all of that, you know? It's like I come with the understanding of almost the native New Yorker, because I've been here since what, 1999, 98. But then I also come with what it feels like to live in a poor country that has been plagued with several embargoes and like, not having electricity but then I'm also a Canadian citizen so I know what it's like to be in the snow and you know so it's just like there's all these elements that all these experiences that you come with that sometimes it's it's just going to be different than someone who has grown up in a neighborhood who has seen a certain life and has grown up here and then went to school there you know it's like all that movement it creates different experiences um and it's not adding um you know it's not to privilege one or the other because i think that's what makes diversity so cool is that i can come in with my basket full of stuff and then I can have a conversation with like my artist friend from Chicago, um, Ayana Evans, who's a dear friend who, you know, understands and is very um, cognizant of her history as a Black American and can trace back her family and can tell you that like her dad remembers like 
what it's like to see people being lynched you know what i mean like so it's it's all these nuances and all these things that i think are so dope that we can have these dialogues yeah um and, and that and diversity means you know different lived experiences too it means different religions it means all mm-hmm. of that you know people think it just means like like you said throw in some brown faces and a couple of women um but you know <laughs> it's so much more so much more complex than that um mm-hmm. to bring it back to because you know you are beyond an expert at this point of the things you've seen like now there's married to luxury right and Mm -hmm. some good things have happened and some other things not so great have happened kind of like when you look at like what happened with Dapper Dan right that has uh that's sort of a happy ending um Gucci putting him in that position but also we know Mm -hmm. so so much work went into that he's in his 70s you know and Mm -hmm. and I just wish this had happened earlier you know for Dap right so you know there's some good stuff happening and then there's some other stuff that like kind of you know agitate me for instance I was just reading an article about you know sneaker collecting is a a black and brown community thing you know and um sneakers last year it was like 70 billion dollars um of money spent you know in the sneaker industry with very little of it going to like black owned sneaker shops and things like that so you know from what you see happening what do you what do you like and what don't you like Mm, what do I like I'll start with the stuff I like I think I like that um for women if I lead with that first I think the the need for women's for the presence of women I think is now something that everyone is looking at when before it was just not even a thought (laughs) so I love that Um, those conversations are happening you know even when people shoot a lot of brands are shooting their lookbooks now you'll see that they'll have girls they'll have women and it's not like you know they're not shooting them in the sort of chicks with kicks with thongs on like (laughs) right like fully dressed you know with the swag that they would actually um wear so I love that Um, What I don't love, I think, is that in streetwear right now, especially when you get to the higher levels, you still have, you still have clicks, right? And, And every industry has its clicks. And I think in streetwear, we're still um, in a space where you're, you're having the sort of same uh, designers that are doing the collaborations and we still don't have uh, the same support. I mean, it's great, for example, that Melody Asani um, is working uh, with Foot Locker and is able to have her line, but like, she can't be the only one. You know, it's like you have, uh, you know, there's these women in LA, Belladonna, Um, they're doing some really cool things like I barely hear people talk about them Um, you know you have April Walker who's been around you have Beth um, from Beauty Supply there's a young brand um, called JJ Grant it's by a young woman um, from the Bronx who has this dope line Um, it's called JJ Grant uh, actually Foot Locker just started stocking um, her hats and, and socks at their stores and that was huge because like we interviewed her a couple years ago and we're just like yo like people need to know about you so I think um, there was pro- there was a lot of discouragement in the space for women designers and I think um you know i want to see more support and visibility i mean we have kari cruz also who does undercrown and trophy hunting that like jay-z's been wearing which is dope so you know so there's 
there's things happening but like I always say like I want to see the big stuff you know like I want to see like you know like one of those big fashion houses have a woman there like you for example like she could do more than jewelry she's proven just her I don't know do Dior why not (laughs) you know and and not to always be not to always be Eurocentric but like I mean okay Louis Trotter's killing it at Lacoste and like Lacoste I think will probably looking at the last Lacoste show I feel like they're probably gonna be popping so but like Louise Trotter's probably again one of the few you know so that's the part that I it's like at the top level of design um, uh, women there's probably of course women designers in those teams but the head creative like the name that everybody knows um is still mostly men um especially in that sort of high end and i know of talented women uh, that can be i mean Aaron. that's like i could go on yeah <laughs> they exist uh so t- that's yeah no I um for a, for a long time like you said it was like it would be like uh, women in hip hop fashion panels and it would be you know like you said it'd be like Melody Asani I sold that on, on Shrink Boutique and it, it sold really well but yeah it was kind of like mm-hmm. it was always like the expert was never like a black or brown woman all the time and, um, and then it was like well called Misa Hilton you know now you know she's getting her flowers but for a long time it's like I know that she was um styling Kim and Mary J Blige and Missy Elliott you know like it was like there was this gap of time where like no one was um contacting her or using her yeah I mean and the thing is like Miss like Sybil Penick you know what I mean right and it's like it's it's that thing where it's like like have to always be one and I feel like sometimes it's almost like we're like okay you're gonna get this person and that's it (laughs) and it's like wait there's a lot of black women who have been in these spaces um that have been creating and have been producing but a lot of times like like I still, there's this woman in Brooklyn. She's to cat suits for pop. Uh, Tiffany, mm-hmm. Tiffany Rhodes, uh, Butch Diva. She has a line, um, and she's still doing things custom. But like me, when I look at Tiffany, I'm just like you're iconic in your own way. Like she dresses the dancers in Brooklyn. Like when you go to a place, it was literally like. A movie, spandex everywhere, music playing in the background. The girls are picking their fabrics, and it's like maybe cat suits, selling stuff at Patricia Fields. But it's sort of, you know, it's like the the sort of industry almost doesn't really. It's like you have to like achieve a certain amount of notoriety, and then. You have to do more. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's more. what I think. It was so important. Like Black is King. I think all of those designers were black, and a lot of them were unknowns. You know, mm-hmm. um, to the to the mainstream public, like right behind the scenes. Of course, in LA and New York, we know who's doing whose hair and doing whose nails and and all of that. Um, but um, yeah, that yeah, was so like cool. like you know, mm-hmm, was in there. Like I know the girls. Um, soul and from did a lot of the jewelry like that was for sure yeah yeah no it's obviously a lot 
more work to do. Um, I get a little perturbed when I see like, you know, when Balenciaga did those like sagging pants with the boxer shorts. Oh my gosh, yes. (laughs) I was just like, Mm -hmm. the amount of, you know, I went to a pretty good high school in Chicago and the amount of black boys like literally kind of like beat up for like sagging pants, you know, Mm -hmm. like like, literally physically harmed for dressing like that, you know? and it having a sinister, you know, criminality type of vibe attached to it. Uh, it was just so, uh, so ridiculous for them to turn around and sell, you know, $1,200 sagging pants, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, because I think for a long time, you know, and I think now we, you know, now we have social media and, and these things can be called out. But for a long time, you know, a lot of the elements of streetwear that became popular most of them came from the hood most of them came from uh you know urban culture and when i say urban culture i mean from the city not necessarily black but like from a working class environment that's from an inner city and it could be you know latin black asian uh south asian you know because it was the the commonality was poverty (laughs) (laughs) right like you know we all struggling we in this together and we're all in timberlands you know exactly they're work work boots you know so and and it's a lot of snow in new york so timberlands yeah you know what i mean yeah but i think as as you know the culture sort of traveled and then all of a sudden it's like oh we like this but we're not gonna feature you know the dark-skinned black girl who was matching her braids with her sneaker no we're gonna feature the trend but we're not gonna feature who probably wore it or you know the nails of the girl who's probably named I don't know Shaquana Mm -hmm. like no we're not gonna feature her or her nail art it's like no when it gets to be on a model in vogue then it's worthy you know (laughs) and the nail art thing threw me because I just I even remember and you you can probably agree with this too because we I mean we've had to pass laws like the crown act to even wear our hair right so Mm -hmm. braids I remember just being um urge not to wear braids if I wanted a quote unquote good job right yep I have still like that yep girlfriends who had nails I had a girlfriend who had long nails she worked for a company that's under the umbrella of caring group I won't mention them but they were basically told her to cut her nails down and they really weren't that long and they weren't decorated so she was wearing kind of like this neutral longer pointier nail and she was told to to cut them you know (laughs) and it's like wow like you're a fashion house yeah but then that's the thing it's like but then they'll hire like a foreign nail artist to go and create some art to put it on the runway but then the black girl who does it no she she can't she can't come to work like that yeah yeah and and that's what's happened you know and that's why um you know in the beginnings um lois and i had a hard time because you know streetwear the way that we saw it was always about you know the the people who were doing it and it, it wasn't about this sort of perfectly uh curated or manicured version that we have now where you have your perfect sneaker your perfect denim with your little designer bag like no you know the girl had the dope sneakers that she found maybe they were a general release maybe they were something special she was coordinating that (laughs) with the top with her nails um, you know, and, and it was something that was 
special and unique to that individual. It wasn't part of a trend in the way that served back to us, <laughs> you know, as like, oh, this is, you know, high-end streetwear and this $300 hoodie, like, no. I mean, I'm just always blown away by the Air Force One, which was like a cheap hood sneaker that you could go yep. watch like three pairs of, you know, for no money. I mean, like dudes in the hood wore Air Force Ones, you know, and it's just, and then I just remember probably about four or five years ago, I only started see, seeing a sneaker on like extremely young really really cute you know like white chicks and I was like wow that's so interesting mm-hmm. to me you know and now it's like you know I mean it's their shoe you know what I mean it's not Nelly's we are beyond Nelly's Air Force Ones you know at this point and they're way more expensive but that to me is too And that's something that, like, I think, and I haven't read his book, so I don't want to paraphrase. I know there was the the Browning of the war, uh, wrote about. Yeah, my idea is more about the fact that, as people, like we, time, we're cool. We're being cool matters. <laughs> you know, like there is. Uh, attached to your personality attached to who you are there's this desire to be cool and and that cool right now where we stand it tends to come from black and brown people and anything that touches that community the music the style because it's cool at some point it's gonna become mainstream the dances on tiktok and the the voiceovers um from someone from the hood with an accent or you know it's just like there's this over I don't want to say it's over appreciation but there's definitely this desire to be part of something cool but not be- live next door to them <laughs> right right and, and and that's the the hypocrisy of it all you know and that's the that's the cruel part of it right where it's like okay you want to wear these sneakers you want to dress that way you even want to move that way um but you'll look down on the person who embodies that or who is part of that culture like that's what that's the toxicity of it all you know because there's still a desire for all these things but the desire for the people is not there it's like people had to kick and scream and talk to even some streetwear websites and be like oh (laughs) why don't you guys feature more black women why aren't there more black centric content on your outlets and it's like eh, probably because they might not have black people working there or that and actually not or and a lot of times like the black creators who are making things might not be um, what they want to talk about you know, so they'll feature the person who's not black who's doing the same thing. Uh, I don't know this obsession with seeing non-black people do black things. And I think even black people uh, really enjoy that. Like sometimes you'll see a video and it's usually like something in Africa and someone white has learned the dance and they start dancing with the like African kids, you, you know, and it's like, wow they have a permanent invite to the cookout it's like you know like (laughs) yeah that culturally that gets tricky because i think because i think um i always say like when because i always say black americans have really forged and anchored um a definition and a statement of blackness um that 
is still evolving but that the rest of the world is still learning Mm -hmm. because there's this idea that because you come from a black country that you that you sort of inherently understand it but it's not true because a lot of times I think blackness that didn't have to center itself because it was sort of self-contained it doesn't have to look at oppression in the same way so it, it's going to evolve differently so when you're looking at uh, I can take like Haiti as an example and my upbringing and the things that you couldn't do it's like wearing your hair without a, a relaxer or texturizer um, for example was still not cool and this is the first black republic <laughs> you know what i, I mean i know so, i mean so, come, come but, through but revolt come through with that, the revolution <laughs> no but that's the thing and that's where i think uh, you know black americans have cemented that because they had to dig deep into who they were and when you grow up in a black country you don't you don't have to reckon with because you don't really have like you live imperialism and racism differently like you you still have colorism you have more classism than anything but in terms of like your blackness like you never really have to contend with it you know so you're sort of that's why like skin lightning was at an all-time high in africa because to a a black american that's like are you out of your mind Uh, (laughs) i mean i can't even right i was in cvs the other day and there there are several different brands still in the makeup uh aisle of skin bleaching i'm like who is buying this yeah but that's the thing i think it's a different the the cultural context of like when i read uh you know like literature about the black panthers and and even black is beautiful like those are things that when you grow up in a black country you don't necessarily think about them you know like because you're surrounded by people who look like you so in a way you're so it's almost like you're a little oblivious so when a foreigner comes in and they speak your language you're not looking at it from the lens of Ooh, are you mimicking and making fun of us you know like yeah, you, you're not you, sensitive yeah either. you haven't really tapped into like the the sort of negative things that that could mean because you haven't necessarily had to think about it or to be confronted with it in the same way that I think Um, black Americans have had for generations to fight and that's something I think that is really praiseworthy and really important because it's it's something that people don't talk about because you know people talk about blackness but I'm like and and you'll hear like I remember I was in a room on Clubhouse a couple of months ago and people were talking about you know traveling overseas and thinking that they were going to be embraced uh, by people of, you know, in Africa or in different places and, and being told that they were American and were sort of like shocked, you know, and thinking, wait a minute, like, we're all black. And it's like understanding that the concept of blackness is, is, is still going to be different. Like, I had to understand when I moved here um because I, I didn't understand it you know like when the the older Jamaican man selling the incense was like calling me sister like I didn't get it <laughs> oh wow I didn't yeah, understand well, New York, it New York will straighten you out real fast <laughs> no but that's the thing because the thing is you grow up in a black country right where you grow up with a very Uh, an overly acute sense of class where 
you know if you happen to grow up middle class you have a certain standing and you have a certain way that you communicate and like you're not really in the streets talking to people so you're in the street and a street vendor's calling you sister you're not connecting to it in the same way because you're just like huh what do you mean but when you yeah. live here you know what i mean like when you live here long enough and you understand um what the civil rights movement has done and you understand what um i mean all the amazing writers and philosophers and and you know we can go down the list but you know what i mean like you have these this discourse on blackness that um started some of it you know there there's books that were written by some french caribbean authors by some uh you know haitian authors but a lot of times like after a while that stuff gets lost yeah um, and you sort of get comfortable but then when you come to america and you're looking at race and you're looking at the injustices and you're looking at sometimes not even injustice sounds very strong um but you look at um the subtlety of racism right like because because that's something that i was talking to a friend about i was like you know we, we think racism is always this loud uh maybe maga hat wearing <laughs> tiki yeah toy. it's a lot of what's not said like yeah and I was like, you know, what's not said when you and, go to StockX and there's like the board I went to StockX I was literally shopping for sneakers because still still buying sneakers and you know so I, I just like to look at the board because that's because I think about startups and I think about yep. where everything comes from and mm-hmm. like yeah no black people no black people and no black women and there is like mm-hmm. a, there's some women in there there are of color and I want to say more like probably most likely middle eastern or or asian um but yeah like most of those people on the board of StockX look like congress like they look like men in congress mm-hmm. well that's the thing right and and that's where i'm like you know racism can be very quiet and mm-hmm. and a lot of times it can even be very polite you know where you will you will come to my house you will have dinner we'll be friends we'll hang out but then once my resources start to get <laughs> messed with what you want to make as much money as me you want to make more money you know what i mean like that's it's when, about yeah what are that's you when yeah i think that's when um things sort of creep out you know as long as you're where you need to be somewhat beneath me we're fine yep but when you're coming and it's like what you want this that i have like Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. that's Uh, when you start to realize and like a lot of times i think we don't look at inequalities and prejudice in that way because we always think it's this sort of ugly very loud thing but a lot of times it's more subtle it's just like i don't i don't see myself paying you that much like you know what i mean like or you're gonna be here but like you're not gonna be on the board like I'll make you a manager. Maybe I'll even make you VP. But like, my bright hand, you know. So it, it's very—it's like there's levels to it. And what lot- is what, speaking of being paid? What is next for Snobbet? Like you've done so much. You said you're doing consulting. Mm-hmm. You know, still keeping us all well informed um and now even with clubhouse so you know you're obviously like evolving as all of this tech in this whole world the social media evolves um we know what's the vision what would you like to see happen specifically you know for you and snobbed for us i think we want to continue to grow you know we want to continue to grow in the the work that we do with brands because there's so much 
being done now in the space and we realize that we have an expertise that is very valuable i mean my partner on snobet lois is like a full-on sneaker analyst you know she was in the what jordan unbanned movie <laughs> you, know, <laughs> okay. she, you know what i mean like she literally like for years you know and it's like she covers the space nike adidas that's her beat that's what she does and like i literally between fashion branding and marketing it's like it oozes out of me so we 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 know that we have a, an expertise that is unique and our goal is to continue to work with brands like we just got um i want to say last year we became part of the complex media ad network um so they aggregate our advertising i want to say we're the first women's site on their ad network so that that was really dope so we want to continue to do um work and make more money <laughs> and be able to yeah. have yeah yeah you know be price. able to yeah you know it's be able staff and and the logistics i mean if anyone who works at twitter and instagram wants to hook us up with a verification so we get these bots off of us cuz like we've been getting these like random like attacks on our platforms lately of just like you know there's a lot happening so yeah if anyone knows anything about being verified holla at the girl cuz yeah seriously <laughs> not like i i and that's so funny to me because everyone has their challenges everyone will probably assume like oh you've been doing this for a long time and it's easy peasy now it's not it's not being independent and the thing is too is that once we left high snobiety it was almost like uh you know you left the cool kids club and like you had to start over it's like there were brands that like forgot <laughs> that we existed i'm like i'm like you know it's the same people that were making the content yeah, like <laughs> yeah it's still us you know and like we had to rebuild and thankfully um we were able to like we've done stuff with lady foot locker we've done stuff with um this really dope hotel James Nomad you know like we've done stuff with some of the record labels and their artists and done some promo work so we've been able to do some dope stuff with liquor brands and i think for me the goal is to do more of that because i think um the lens of women is is something that is still untapped in a lot of consumer products like if we take liquor for example i'm always like liquor brands barely market to women like barely and we're like, doing most... a lot of drinking girl like <laughs> during covid like it was sad uh it was sad and funny cuz exactly <laughs> same it was like getting bread i had getting bread like i used to have these talks on instagram with my friend jasmine um who owns nailcon and like we used to have these like instagram lives where we each would have a bottle and just like and i was like wow women drink huh <laughs> like yeah, we like, really really do and we get know? so specific about it once we get mm-hmm. to our like oh i like this or i like that yeah it needs to be um more accommodation to to us in the market for sure. Yeah, it's like everyone is running after that sort of right now the marketing buzz is Gen Z which is understandable to some degree but I think there's a a big gap between uh what is it Gen X and millennials um you know I think anyone who's between what that 30 35 to 45 group like i feel like uh, there's not a lot there um yeah and and that's the group that's actually making money i yeah, mean yeah yeah they're the ones making the purchases and i mean let's not count out like you know older xers and and boomers like these are the people buying 
you know major purchases exactly i mean even the boomers right because even with that when we look at street fair because that's another thing that like i was thinking about when you're looking at streetwear and the way that it is now and you're looking at like the people you know the guys behind supreme the people behind uh the hundreds ten mm-hmm. like everyone right now is if not 40 is near 40 or 50 or like or 50 older. exactly right so when you think about it you you don't go from being a skater like it's like when you look at tony hawk right it's yeah. like tony hawk is not all of a sudden no shade to all birds but i'm gonna say it tony hawk is maybe he is and i'm just gonna put my foot in my mouth but tony hawk is probably <laughs> not like rocking like i don't know khakis and all birds and just like a polo shirt you know like and I, I, what I mean is that there's something that you're into and, and there's the definition of who you are as a human being that doesn't just go away because you, you it's 10 years later. Like, you don't sort of morph <laughs> into someone else. Like, you probably want to be cool still to some Right, yeah, degree. the essence of who you are is still the essence of who you are. Like, I went to... Um one of those Sunday services and it was older kind of white gentlemen there not the whole thing it was it was blended and diverse all in streetwear like right (laughs) and everyone had on Yeezys you know and these are like 55 year old men you know and and LA is like that the people who can afford it for real for real who are in their Teslas and all that stuff um yeah they're they're the ones buying it for them and then maybe for their kids you know exactly so to me those are things i always think about because as much as i'm immersed in youth culture and i'm there with the kids the 18 19 year olds and i'm at the parties like i'm doing all of that i'm also very aware that um there's another side to it and when it think when we look at marketing and what brands are doing a lot of times they sort of there's not a lot put in place to service this other group that's still with it and that still wants to be included yeah the essence of who you are is the essence of who you are like if you look at a lot of the even like older hip-hop pioneers like a Nas or a D-Nice you know I was going to a lot of those club quarantines like right still cool right Mm -hmm. I mean I think so maybe I'm also and that's the thing right I mean yeah I I remember hearing D-Nice on Clubhouse and that was so special um in the beginning it's like we got to hear him talk about like how he started club quarantine and that's still probably one of my stories of being in clubhouse it was probably like one or two a.m something and it was i forget maybe a couple of hundreds of people he was just vulnerable and just very um open and honest about where he was and and how opportunity know he talked about how it was just a way to connect and and it, uh, a source of joy for so many people and it's so good to see how um so held like another level like even that story first and from him like Yeah, yeah. Speaking of that, we're going to want to hear more from you. Um, And I so appreciate, like, this moment in time today. Thank you so much. Um, When is your uh, next room so that people can, you know, follow you and, of course, go to Snobbed and sign up for all the stuff, guys. But, um, you know, I think it's really interesting. I I love Clubhouse specifically because you don't have to glam up and you don't have to be an influencer. (laughs) Yep, exactly. You can literally... So I like Clubhouse for that reason. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
Well, when's your next like room? And because um, we wanna we wanna keep up with you, we we need you in this cultural space. We that newsroom Wednesday at seven Eastern Standard Time. Uh, we also realize we have banging with like like four million views. Twitter, we have that sound where we um we have uh, new music by Win um every month. Uh, we have a playlist on Spotify curated by a woman called Europe and comes out every month. There's Instagram. We have a style account called Snobat Style, um, and we also have Snobat Instagram and our doc. We also have our Snobat Substack newsletter that's um, written by my co-founder Sakani. That groups some of the current events, um, some really dope. So yeah, there, there's. <laughs> we do a and lot. keep doing a lot and I'm like okay I was in New York for the whole month of June I'm like how did I not uh, meet you I actually interviewed um, Amarice from Bronx Native oh okay yeah I was staying in the Bronx with a friend and I was just like okay at the time I was like it, it was still kind of new for me I had just got vaccinated so I was still really weird about gathering but I was uh-huh. like, this next time around, you know, probably in the spring, I'd like to come and then maybe we can have like a, a chat chat, a talk Yeah, chat. we can have a sit down, get some wine and like have a whole thing. Yeah, um, I appreciate you so much. When I get this together, I will share it with you. Um, thank you for being on You Have to Wear Something. And as always, everyone out there, we talk about a lot of tough stuff, but keep going. Have a lot yeah. of great to yourself and as always till next time peace thank you bye guys <laughs>